Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on uh, Thursday, Thursday morning, bright and sunny, May 25th, 2017. Now, I had a lot of people emailing me and asking why I didn't talk about President Trump's address in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia during his trip. And I have to be honest, uh, I, initially I wasn't going to because I have a lot of suspicions about what's going on here, a lot of high-octane speculation. But I also kind of wanted to wait for the fallout from it. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot more, not only in the days and weeks to come, but in the years to come, and perhaps even the decades because of certain suspicions I've long had that I've mentioned from time to time uh, in various interviews, particularly on the late George Ann Hughes's Bite Show. But we've already got a bit of fallout that has appeared in the Washington Post, and I've linked two articles for you that I want to be talking about. The first article appeared just yesterday in the Washington Post, a very short op-ed piece written by the former Republican uh, Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, and then a piece that appeared last week in the Washington Post as well, called, uh, pardon me, titled, Trump to Unveil Plans for an Arab NATO in Saudi Arabia. Now, I want to really focus initially on Speaker Gingrich's article here because... Um, Color me skeptical, <laughs> okay? Let's just put it that way. Let me read a couple of things that Speaker Gingrich has said in the article. First of all, quote, The newspaper's legendary former publisher, Philip Graham, famously described journalism as the business of writing the first rough draft of history. This week, as President Trump gave an historic speech in Saudi Arabia before the leaders of more than 50 Muslim-majority nations, journalism's first draft missed the history almost entirely. Trump stood before an unprecedented gathering of leaders to do something far more significant than utter a single phrase or undermine his predecessor's record. He was there to rally the Muslim world, in his words, to, quote, meet history's great test, unquote, defeating the forces of terrorism and extremism. Now, this in Saudi Arabia, okay, um, I'm sure I don't have to rehearse the reasons for this audience of why I'm a little skeptical <laughs> about that. But let me continue. He did so in a way that no American president ever had ever done before. While extending a hand, hand of friendship to Muslim nations, he also issued them a clear challenge to take the lead in solving the crisis that has engulfed their region and spread across the planet. Quote, drive out the terrorists and extremists, he urged, or consign your peoples to futures of misery and squalor. Now, this is Gingrich's evaluation at this point on. Quote, in that one speech, um, pardon me, he, he refers back to um, President Reagan making a similar speech in Westminster, and then he goes on to say this. Now, note, what he's doing is he's invoking President Reagan and all of the supposed glow that, 
that came from the Reagan years and trying to couple Trump with it. He says in that one speech, Reagan predicted the fall of communism and reinvigorated the Western alliance. Quote, we see totalitarian forces in the world who seek subversion and conflict around the globe to further their barbarous assault on the human spirit, unquote, Reagan said. Reagan declared, <laughs> no narcissism here, folks. Reagan declared his speech a turning point in human history. And it was. <laughs> That's Gingrich. <coughs> Pardon me. On Sunday, Trump, too, declared that his challenge would be a turning point one way or another. At least Trump isn't... <laughs> At least Trump isn't uh, taking credit for this is going to necessarily be a positive change. It might be a negative one. And saying those kind of words, I, I have to, you know, I have to doff my hat to the president, at least on this case, for having dared utter the words terrorism and extremism in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> okay. Um, again, I'm not optimistic, but. At least he did it. Let me continue. Quote, America is prepared to stand with you, unquote, in the fight against terrorism, Trump pledged. Quote, but the nations of the Middle East cannot wait for American power to crush this enemy for them. The nations of the Middle East will have to decide what kind of future they want for themselves, for their countries, and for their children, unquote. Now, my question here to the president is, does that include Syria? <laughs> okay, apparently not, because apparently if you're in Syria, in other words, if you are a secular Muslim Arab state, you can't do this, but if you're an extremist one, <laughs> you can. This is my difficulty here, folks, and I have an even deeper suspicion that I, I voiced years ago on George Ann Hughes' show that I want to repeat here today because it's as if uh, a nightmare is coming true. Let me continue. Never before, this is Gingrich again, has an American president tried so clearly to unite the civilized world, including the nations of the Middle East and Africa, against the forces of terrorism. Never before has an American president issued so direct a challenge to those nations to do more in the fight. And that's good. I, I'm not disagreeing with that. And never before has an American president so plainly put the ultimate responsibility for eradicating terrorism on the nations in the region. In doing so, Trump's speech implicitly repudiated the approaches of his two immediate predecessors and promised instead what he characterized as a principled realism based on a clear idea of America's interests and security and limits. Now, the final paragraph in this Washington Post article is this, quote, the United States and Saudi Arabia signed a $110 billion arms deal, the largest in U.S. history, which will bolster the kingdom's ability to contribute to counterterrorism operations across the region, Syria <laughs> and others, <laughs> okay? 
This will reduce the burden on the U.S. military and send a clear message that this administration takes the threat of Iran seriously. <laughs> the agreements also included a new commitment to crack down on terrorism financing in the Persian Gulf states, as well as hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Saudi investment in the United States. Um, translate that into more promotion of Wahhabism and its ideals. Now, this is all being couched, again, you'll note, in anti-terrorism terms, and you'll note I'm a little skeptical. So let's turn to the other article that appeared a week ago, again in the Washington Post, that is titled, Trump to unveil plans for an Arab NATO in Saudi Arabia. Now let me read the first four paragraphs, and I'm going to skip to a few other paragraphs toward the end of this article. Listen to this, quote, When President Trump arrives in Riyadh this week, he will lay out his vision for a new regional security architecture that White House officials call an Arab NATO to guide the fight against terrorism and push back against Iran. In other words, all terrorism <laughs> comes from in Iran, folks. That's the subtext here. As a cornerstone of the plan, Trump will also announce one of the largest arms deals in history. Behind the scenes, the Trump administration and Saudi Arabia have been conducting extensive negotiations led by White House senior advisor Jared Kushner and Saudi Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The discussions began shortly after the presidential election when Mohammed, known in Washington as MBS, sent a delegation to meet with Kushner and other Trump officials at Trump Tower. After years of disillusionment with the Obama administration, the Saudi leadership was eager to do business. They, and I wonder why. Let's, let's turn the clock back here. Remember that Obama was under tremendous pressure from the, the deep state in the United States, not only to actively intervene in Syria, but also there was tremendous pressure on him to make some sort of military intervention in Iran, all right? So I think the subtext here is, yeah, there's a sea change going on in foreign policy, but it may not be all that good, all right? Let me continue. After years of disillusionment with the Obama administration, the Saudi leader, leadership was eager to do business. They were willing to make a bet on Trump and on America, a senior White House official said. In that meeting and during a follow-up meeting three weeks later, the Saudis proposed a broad elevation of the U.S.-Saudi relationship and proposed various projects to increase security cooperation, economic cooperation, and investment, White House officials said. The Trump team gave the Saudis a list of Trump priorities, calling on the kingdom to step up actions to combat radical Islamic extremism, intensify the fight against the Islamic State, and share the burden of regional security. Now let me skip. The White House admits that many details of how the new alliance will operate will remain to be worked out. The counties, or pardon me, the countries of the region harbor deep historical grievances and don't agree on key issues, including the way forward in Syria. 
a 2015 effort by Egypt to establish a pan-Arab fighting force collapsed due to squabbling among the countries involved. Skipping again. The most concrete part of the idea is a mammoth U.S. arms package for Saudi Arabia that Trump will announce in Riyadh. Final details are still being worked out, but officials said the package will include between $98 billion and $128 billion in arms sales. Over 10 years, total sales could reach $350 billion. That's a third of a trillion dollars, folks. These sales include huge upgrades. Huge would be the word here, or huge. <laughs> For the Saudi Army and Navy to include literal combat ships, THAAD missile defense systems, armored personnel carriers, missiles, bombs, and munitions, officials said. Some of the production and assembly could be located, listen to this word here, listen to this sentence here, folks. Some of the production and assembly could be located in Saudi Arabia. In other words, Part of the sales here include the actual sale of the manufacturing capability to that country. Now, folks, I don't know about you. I think this is a colossally bad idea. Let me continue. At the very end of this article, it says, the pending announcements of the new security framework and huge arms deal are evidence that the Saudi courtship of the Trump White House has been successful beyond expectations. Whether that results in real stability in the region, real progress against terrorism, or real deterrence against Iran depends on what happens after Trump's overseas trip is over. So let me give you my suspicions here. Uh, these are in the form of high-octane speculations. But I have to wonder what the quid pro quo is here. Is it really going to settle anything as far as the security in that region is concerned to turn over a massive arms deal and perhaps the manufacturing capability to one of the most backward regimes in the world and do this in the context of the centuries-long Sunni-Shia conflict? This to me suggests, and, and this has been suggested by many other people besides me over the years, this to me suggests that what the real plan is, is to create an internal conflict in that region of the world that will ultimately lead to its demise. In other words, I said years ago something on George Ann's uh, show that it was my conviction that over the long term, the Islamic world was being set up for a fall, all right? Now, that could be avoided if there are real internal domestic reforms in the two countries that represent uh, that kind of extremism, namely Saudi Arabia and Iran. So my other suspicion may be is that is Trump doing this? And again, I'm not one of those that thinks that Trump plays 4D chess and he's thinking way outside the box and is so brilliant that he's way ahead of, of the deep state and, and all of the thinkers and analysts that that employs. But I do think and I do entertain a suspicion 
that maybe this might be in terms of his rhetoric that he was using in Riyadh, that this might also be his subtle message to the Saudis that if you want to advance your country, you're going to have to reform internally. And that means that Saudi Arabia, number one, is going to have to treat its Shia uh, population much better, and it's going to have to join the ranks of the rest of the world and not stone women to death for silly things, all right? So that might be in the offing, but the problem is there's no article suggesting that I've been able to discover that this was made a prid quo, uh, quid pro quo in the arrangement. So in other words, I, I maintain as a more probable suspicion that everything is being set up for a fall here and that this is really a way of uh, change of policy vis-a-vis -vis Syria and having a more, much more direct Saudi involvement and influence in the region. So that brings us to my suspicions about this Arab-NATO idea. And here again, I'm rather alarmed because the whole goal of the extremists in that region is to create a transnational uh, pan-Sunni, or if you're, if you're Iranian, pan-Shia kind of caliphate. Now that leaves the problem of who gets to play caliph. And of course, there's three contenders in the region, and they're all kind of nuts if you get right down to it. We've got Sultan Erdogan in Turkey, prancing around, incidentally, recently, uh, folks, you can find uh, photographs, color photographs of Sultan Erdogan actually dressed in costumery that resembles very much the vestiture of the old Ottoman sultans, okay? So in other words, he wants to be caliph, and of course, the Saudis are in there, uh, right in there for contention, and of course, the Iranians as well. So this action appears to me, again, not to be a stabilizing action, ultimately, and in the long run. It may appear that way in the short run, but ultimately in the long run, this appears to me to be a very destabilizing action. Now, why do I say that? Because I suspect that we're going to have, as a response to this, we're going to see some statements now coming out of Turkey, coming out of Tehran, coming out of Beijing and coming out of Moscow, that if they're really serious about engaging against terrorism, they cannot, <coughs> pardon, me, <coughs> pardon me, they cannot simply just engage with the Saudis. They have to engage with Iran. They have to engage with China. They have to engage with Turkey. So in other words, we're going to see some pushback and perhaps even a geopolitical uh, alliance of a different sort coming as a result of this initiative. So this, as far as I'm concerned, folks, I'm very, very skeptical here. Um, let's hope that my good suspicions play out, but I have to be honest with the comparisons, you know, the, the glowing terminology from Newt Gingrich, uh, comparing this to Reagan, um, you know, I find that comparison questionable. Uh, the only thing that was good about the trip were, was some of President Trump's rhetoric. But we'll see if that translates into actual policy initiatives and policy demands from Washington 
and if that translates in Riyadh, my bottom line here is probably a big fat no. One can hope, but that's it for, for my speculation here on this news. This is going to be a big story, folks. This is one to watch. This is, this is going to uh, be in the news in one way or another now for the next several years. So it's one to watch, folks, and we need to, we need to watch very, very closely if this will issue in any internal changes in that part of the world. Um, I suspect not. I suspect, if anything, this will give the tools of further repression to some of those regimes in that region. Anyway, that's it for my news and views today. Uh, sorry I'm doing it so early. I'm having a bit of a sinus problem. Got errands to run today. So we'll see you on the flip side, everybody. Oh, by the way, I want to make a reminder again. You can listen to these uh, pod, these uh, broadcasts and podcasts on your iTunes. Uh, please spread the word that you can do that. Give us some good reviews, folks. Uh, help promote the show a little bit. I want to thank everybody also for the donations. They do help. We are facing some financial uh, crunch right now by, on the website with our bandwidth explosion. Uh, our memberships are not uh, keeping pace with that. So... Uh, we do appreciate the donations and the help. Anyway, that's it for today's news and views. We'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye and God bless.